What's going on, everyone? Kelly Cavalier here along with... John Robinson, also known as Mr. Showcase. And welcome to Controversial Conversations. That's right. We did another one. Told you we're going to try to make this a series, guys. You didn't believe us. We're back. Um, this podcast is all about the hard questions and topics that nobody wants to ask, but everyone wants to know the answers to. It's a lot like what John has shared on his The John Robinson Show and what I've shared on The Honky Tonk Highway. We just, we feel that some stuff needs to get talked about. So if you listened to the first one, thank you. We appreciate it. Um, hopefully you gave us a bunch of feedback. Um, this episode we're going to be talking about, and we're going to be focusing a lot on event directors on this one. And I kind of have a bonus here because the man that's sitting next to me is an event director. It's true. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about how do event directors select the invited instructors and staff what do they look for what do they go through why do they choose it why that's the big question why um granted we don't know how everyone thinks we're going to give our opinion again like i said before if we offend anybody we're sorry we're we're, we're asking the sorry. questions john says he's not sorry but we're asking the questions and, and we're open to input we want you we want you to send us feedback on these and that's why we're doing these. We want to hear the conversations. We'll gladly do follow-up episodes on any topic we do. Um, so, John, let's start off with you. What do you look for? Do you just – granted, we were recording this a couple weeks after Dancing Up a Storm. Um, great event. Kansas City, Missouri. Join them next year, August, third week. Um, no shameless plug needed. I know. <laughs> um, but what do you look for when you and Karen were deciding what staff to have? All right, so I'm going to come at this from several perspectives because the event that I co-host with Karen is a charity event. So our uh, expectations and compensations that we can offer are different from a for-profit event. Right. And I've done those as well. So I'm going to talk about it from both perspectives. If we're talking about Dancing Up a Storm specifically, we have a great local following there and local instructors who have been with the event forever. The event's been around probably about three decades now. So Karen started it many years ago, and back then it was much bigger than it is now. So she had you know, all the top names at the time, like Max Perry and Kathy Hanyati and Joe Thompson. It was huge, it was massive. It was like a Windy City, or not quite right. a Vegas, but lot, hundreds of people. But over the years, it's gotten a little smaller. So we rely on that core base of the local instructors because they're going to bring their students with them. Right. And that's really helpful. Um, it's one of the only events, if not the only event, I can't think of anything else out in that area right now, kind of in the heartland, in the you know middle of the country. There's nothing else really in the area. So we tend to draw a lot of local people who do not attend what I would call the big conventions right you know like fun mm -hmm. in the sun or Windy yep. city or boston or whatever so the staff that we have to choose from we have the core staff and then every year i try to introduce somebody new because these people don't attend big conventions so right. i want to expose them to different instructors they may not have experienced before so my requirements are i usually get two 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 um different we had um this year for example we had melissa culbertson for the couples she taught two-step and west coast and waltz and all that and for the line dancers we brought in darren bailey and listeners you might be going oh yeah we know who darren bailey is of course who wouldn't know who darren bailey is but when we introduced all the staff on thursday night and i said who's not familiar with darren bailey about half the room raised Raise their hands hand. <laughs> yeah so my goal there is to try to introduce introduce them to instructors who I feel are number one, great instructors, and number two, great crowd pleasers. They're gonna mingle with my crowd, they're gonna be comfortable, they're gonna make them happy they were there and took their lessons and got to dance with them. And I'm pretty sure that happened in the case of both Melissa and Darren this year. And I know it's happened with everybody else I've brought in so far. We've had Brandon Zahorsky there, we've had, I'm not gonna remember everybody, so I apologize if I forget somebody, but I brought in, um, Megan Barsulia and Christopher Gonzalez together one year, and everybody loved them. We brought in Amy Glass before she was Glass of Bailey's. Um, brought in, oh, I can't remember everybody. But I try to bring new people in. Right. I also try to bring in people that I feel will fit with the crowd. That crowd, to me, is more of an improver-level crowd. 
they come from their local class, they yep. go back home, they're not really into the hardcore dances that are, you know, like, phrased with an A, B, C, and a part two, and 17 mm-hmm. tags, and four restarts. Um, there are some people who attend that will who love those kind of dances and want to do them, but the majority of the crowd, I feel, is a beginner-improver crowd, and I think you I'll, saw that. I'll agree with that statement. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that statement. So I try to bring in instructors who are going to appeal to that crowd, and even when I, like, bringing in Darren, I said, Darren, this is not your what you're used typical, to. Right, the right. typical hardcore convention crowd. And he discovered that because he taught Madeline, which is a bit more challenging. The, yep. the time structure of that dance is a little different for most people. And he made the observation that, yes, it was a bit of a struggle for most people. He said there were like three or four people who totally got it and loved it. For everybody else, it was a bit of a struggle. And I said, that's the kind of crowd we have. So my goal there is to bring in fresh faces they haven't seen before, people that I respect that I think are going to bring the energy and, and mm-hmm. the, the kind of entertainment that I want to provide, and also will fit that crowd. They'll bring the type of material that's appropriate for those people, right. and they'll enjoy it. Now, going on to other events that I've hosted, let's say JJ Jam or Dance's Life, which uh, my husband Chris and I hosted, trying to appeal to more of a mass crowd. So what do I choose then? Again, same principles apply pretty much who's going to be a team player who's going to come in and fit with our philosophy and what we're trying to present i think each event pretty much has its own character Mm -hmm. you know i people ask me all the time well what's your favorite event and i always say in what What aspect aspect? right because do you want to go to an event where you're going to mainly learn country dances do you want to go to an event where you're going to learn more like hip-hop and soul line dances and that kind of thing? Do you want to go to an event where it's more skewed toward that higher level? Right. Or do you want something that's a little more comfortable, a little more improver level, kind of immediate um, middle ground? What aspect are you talking about? So in my opinion, when you're hiring people for an event, that should be on your mind. Who's going to appeal to your crowd? What crowd are you trying to appeal to, right. first of all? Who's your audience? Some events try to appeal to quite a wide range. So we want a beginner room. We want the we want an you know intermediate room. We're going to have an all request dance party at night, but we're also going to have you know a beginner ballroom. And some... I feel that's hard for some events because yes, I, I get it. The big events, five, six, seven hundred people, even the four hundred people. But let's take an event that's smaller than say two hundred people. Trying to run two to three event works rooms at night. That kind of defeats the purpose because your DJ feels like, well, what am I doing here? I'm DJing to 60 people. Because mm. if you divide it equally into three, 200 people, that's less than 70 people a room. That's no different than going to an average little local dance. That's not why that DJ is there. They could have done that. They could have done that at home. Right. I, I feel like sometimes events, and, and I'm not saying any event in particular, but there are some events that probably try to do too much Spread at night. Spread themselves too thin. Right. I, I, I remember I remember DJing event and we pretty much had an even mix. Me in the main ballroom, in the all request room, main ballroom. And I don't think it was anybody's fault. I don't think it was anybody's fault. It's just that that's the nature of the beast. That was the, that was how it happened. Windy City does the same thing. I'd have to say once the beginner room shuts down, because it usually shuts down pretty early, uh um Bob and Anise do it. Boy. They, they do the beginner room, and they do it for a couple hours, get get the reviews in. Tina Foster goes in there. All the beginner instructors go in there. And then you pretty much have the main room, which used to be Louie, and now JP early, Louie late. Now it's all JP. And then you have the all-request room pretty much with Jill. And I'd have to say lately it's almost an even mix. It's almost an even crowd in both rooms. And no room gets probably over-inundated. But again, you're talking to how many people? Several hundred, right? Now this year, and um, this year will be the true test. And at the time of us recording this, Windy City hasn't happened. I'm saying this because not 100 percent sure when this will get posted. If it's before or after Windy City, um, it's limited to 300 people. Mind you, I'm doing the the broadcast live. We're still having five ballrooms. We're still having three ballrooms at night as of right now. 300 people divided by three ballrooms at night. <laughs> That's not going to be that many people. No room is ever going to feel full. So one, as an attendee, 
you walk in the room and be like, well, I don't want to be in here. There's not that many people in here. What This is supposed to be open dancing. Same thing as an event director. Well, what's this DJ doing wrong that he doesn't have more people in his room? Right. I, I'm going to segue off of that because I feel that has a lot to do with the person you hire. Your DJ can make or break the room depending on the type of energy they're creating. And that's part of their job. That's why you hire them. Um, some people are very good at that, and some people just play music. There's a big difference. Huge. <laughs> right. Massive. You need to be observing your crowd, watching, creating a flow, an ebb and a flow. So, you know, and I speak from when I taught at a country bar. I started off at the Grizzly Rose Saloon in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Had a great working relationship with our DJ. He was a radio DJ, but he also was very keen on providing the best experience possible for the dancers every right. night. And we, we had line dancers, pattern partner dancers, and couple dancers, all three. You didn't want to piss right. off one crowd and have them sitting all night. You wanted everybody involved. Mm -hmm. So he was very good about keeping the floor full, but also rotating. Yes. So you'd do a set of line dances. You'd start with something calmer and then something more energetic. And you built up, built up to the line dancers were sweating and just like, oh my God, we need a break. And then they'd sit down. Mm -hmm. And then you'd put on you know, some couple stuff. So two-step waltz. He'd start with like something quieter, like let's maybe say a waltz and a West Coast swing. And then... A East Coast swing and a fast two-step and wear out the couples dancers and kind of keep that rotation going yeah a good DJ at a line dance event should do the same thing you need to observe your room make sure the energy's going and it doesn't matter if you have 12 people or 1200 people in that ballroom because a good DJ will make you feel like you're having the best time of your life in that room um, and I think staff just staff in general is the same way um, going back to like why event directors pick people or what are the what qualities do we look for i'm looking for someone who's an all-around entertainer right i want you to be able to be a great instructor but i also want you to be a great mingler right you're there to entertain my guests mm -hmm. i need you to be able to talk with people if somebody stops you in the hallway you can't be like well i'm done with my class now i'm going to my room i don't really want to talk to these people right or at night I want you to be able to social dance, and I don't want you to just be able to come in and do the dances you taught or your own choreography. I want you to be able to come out to the floor and dance with everybody as much as possible. So, you know this, Kelly. You've seen me come dancing room. I and yep. I did this. I did this at the barn the other night. So in yep. case I don't know when, like you said, this is being posted, but I just did a workshop at the barn called the Barnanza in Sanford, Florida. Rob Holly was the other instructor. We went back at night, and. I didn't know all the dances being done on the floor, but I ran out and tried some of them, right? That's what I do. I try to be well-rounded and I'll run out and, and even in the beginner uh, ballroom at night, I'll run on the floor and try to learn some of those and dance with the people there because I know they appreciate it. I know that they're entertained by my antics. Um, but if you're, if you're hire, I feel if you're hiring someone to work your event, they need to be bring the full package, not just teach a class and disappear. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, come out at night and then sit there for hours and hours and hours and, and only jump up and do the dances that they know or the dances that they taught. I think that's, you'll, and you see that from the professionals. Look at, I'll use Joe Thompson Szymanski as the perfect role model. She'll run out there and jump in the middle of the floor and lead a beginner dance. Mm -hmm. But she'll also run out and do Ain't Misbehaving and, yep. you know, Get Wild and these phrased, more complicated dances. She's great at that. She's always delightful she's entertaining if you need her to um help with the show she'll offer to do that and she'll do it full on and give give her her all to make that happen those are the kind of people i think that we need to foster and mm -hmm. and encourage to continue this this whole line dancing thing into the future as well one of the things that i've noticed with hiring people and i know you're going to go off on this as soon as i say it <laughs> is that we need to bring up another generation of touring instructors. There are a few of us left. I mean, that this is what I do full-time. This is what I do for yep. a job. But as you touched on, you know, eventually I'll probably have to retire and go away. I don't want to think about it yet, but just yet. But none none of us do. That's the, that's <laughs> but the thing. It'll, none it'll of us want eventually to... happen. Right. So who's going to be the next crop? Who are going to be the in-demand instructors and why? What makes you an in-demand instructor? I'll tell you my perspective. For me, it'll be different for everyone. You know, Fred offers different things than, let's say, um, Niels Poulsen or Gary O'Reilly or mm -hmm. any of the top names that we think of from overseas. We'll talk about that as well as what we should expect of instructors here in the States. But 
from my perspective, when someone hires me to work their event, why am I so busy? Why am I constantly on the road? What is it about me that makes event directors, not just big weekend conventions, but one day workshops, Tuesday night classes, bars contact me. I just got contacted by a bar. We want someone to come in and teach on Friday in December. What day are you available on a Friday in December? Just out of the blue, I got an an email from from a bar, right? So what makes me so desirable? Because I'm hot shit. No, (laughs) what makes me desirable is I'm a great instructor, a really good teacher. I hear compliments and I'm also very humble about this, so I'm not bragging, but I hear all the time, I was not able to learn that dance before and now I finally learned it from you. That speaks highly of my ability to teach people and have them actually learn what I'm presenting. So I'm a great instructor. I also am an entertainer. So for example, and I've taught at many clubs, many bars, I'll walk in, the local instructor, and this is not a slam on anybody, but I'll walk in and the local instructor is like, okay, tonight we're gonna do blah, 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 dance, and it goes to this song, so come on out, let's get started. And there's like no energy to their voice or their, right. their persona, their presentation, it's just, eh. I get on the mic, and it's, I'll try not to yell, but I'm like, Good evening, the barn. Thanks for coming out. Let's go. We're going to do this cool dance. Blah, blah. You know, I'm like, and the whole bar stops to look. Not just the people that are there to take the class, awesome. but everybody turns to look. I can't tell you how many times I've taught at a club for the first time. And the manager or the owner, whoever's there that night, will come running over like, who are you? Where did you come from? I need you here every week. And I'm like, I won't be here next week. I'll be in California or right. I'll be in Maine or whatever. So I'm an entertainer. You ask me to fill in for another teacher, I will do it. I will learn the dance. I'll give you a quick example. Um, the marathon. Uh-huh. Rhea Voss couldn't be there one year because she had a health issue or something. Right. And Scott asked me the night before Good if teacher. I would teach the dance she was scheduled to teach. I didn't know it. It was very hard. It was an advanced level dance. First class in the morning. Yep. I had to learn it quickly the night before and then teach it that next morning. It was one of the most stressful classes of my life. But I did it. I was asked to do it. I did it. So you have to be flexible as well. Mm-hmm. You have to do whatever you're asked to do and be ready. Be yep. prepared to handle that. And then it's just a matter of your personality. Do you have a personality? Are you somebody that people want to engage with? Yeah. Um, it's going to be different for everyone. I look at it as Joe, like uh, Joe Thompson Szymanski. She's the elegant, poised, you know, that's just her. I'm goofy and silly and funny, yeah. um, and that's what people expect of me. They don't. If I do a serious dance, they're like, right. "Are you feeling okay?" So, I think event directors need to find those people, and we need to start training those people to present that full package. If you come to an event, you're hired to work it. I think you should right. have the capability to, to provide all of that. Funny, funny story on that and aspect about the open comers. Um, I've actually never. I've never taught at an event where that's the only thing I'm there to do. I, it's usually an added bonus when someone asks me to teach because I'm already there to do the floor or do the photo and video um, with Kelly. And Heart of Texas, Trevor was teaching my dance last. Mind you guys, late at night, open dancing. Do I dance? Yes. Do I dance every dance possible? No. Why? Because I'm usually doing 557 other things. Am I capable of doing some dances? Yes. Do I usually go out and grab a two-step, a West Coast? There are some line dances I remember off the top of my head. Do I learn every new dance out? No. So I always find it funny when I – anybody who knows me knows my favorite dance is Hideaway Chaw, my favorite dance ever. It's so funny when I do that dance late at night and everyone's like, we didn't know you knew how to dance. <laughs> and then I end up teaching on Sunday because Trevor had last the last hour of the day. Trevor was teaching one of my dances a little bit, knowing it wasn't going to take him an hour. He goes, well, you want to teach one of your other ones in the back half? And I got to teach. It, it's, it's, it's those situations like that. Like, give people the chance. You might surprise them. Not everybody's going to know every dance. That, that's true. An instructor or a choreographer is not going to know every dance ever written. Don't get upset when they can't go out and open dance for 30 straight songs because they don't know the dance. Right. But on John aspect, you need to be prepared. Just at dancing up a storm. Darren got delayed. Boom. John texted me Friday morning. So <laughs> any chance you uh, want to jump in and teach Darren's class at 950 this morning um, and teach an extra class? 
sure, I got a couple extra dances. I'll text him over to Larry. And it did. I got up, demoed off the blue. I had two extra dances. I then got up, taught the class. You have to be prepared for the unknown. And I just want to interject and say that was one of the biggest classes of the weekend. So there's that. <laughs> it was. It was. It was nice. It felt good. Um, I hadn't got to teach in in, in quite some time at an event. Um, three or four years, and it felt good to be out there again. And I, I miss it. I, it's why I was entering choreography competitions. I wanted to be in. I I want to teach. I love teaching. I love being in front of a crowd. Um, I filled in for Trevor at the barn in Sanford, um, on occasion, and I love it. I do miss it. The one thing I'm going to add on to this. And since we're talking about what event directors look, I noticed the wording on flyers. Mm. Invited instructors. Mm. Are you really inviting an instructor or are you wanting a choreographer? Because those are not the same thing. <laughs> those are not the same thing. That's a good point. I, I, I noticed that that's what most of the wording is. It's either invited instructors or invited instructors slash choreographers. Well, what are you wanting? Because... I look at the I, I look at the list, and I'm sorry, I, I've said this many of times. There are many great instructors in this world. There are many great choreographers in the world. There are not many people in our industry that can do both at a top-notch level. There just isn't. There, there it, it, it doesn't happen. Will I admit that I'm a really, really great choreographer? No, I still have tons to learn. I am relatively new at it. I've been competing for five years in it. I wrote dances before that. I've taken lessons for the man sitting next to me. I've got to choreograph with him. I know there's plenty to learn. Would I call myself a great instructor? Yes, I know I can teach. I did it for couples couples for years. I've taken many of lessons from the top-notch ballroom and couples and line dance instructors known to man on how to teach properly. I know I can teach. That's not a problem. <laughs> I, I find it hysterical that that's what event directors put on their flyer. It's almost like a it's it's almost like a tease. It, it, it's almost like that that mis that that miscon let's let's fool the guest almost mm -hmm. because what are they looking for? Because do do you want someone that can teach their own stuff? Because sorry, that doesn't that that doesn't happen that often anymore. There's only a handful of people that teach their own choreography. I'm gonna. I, I'd want to pop in on. Go that. ahead, please. Um, there's so many directions we could take this right now after what you just said, but I want to pop I in. Know. On, I do want to pop in on there because I feel one of the other aspects that makes me so valuable is that I can present other people's material. So, like with the Ria Voss situation, I did not know that dance until the night before I had to teach it, and it was hard. That I'm not kidding when I say that was one of the most stressful teachers of my life because it was an advanced level dance. Mm -hmm. I learned it the night before. I had to teach it first thing in the morning, never having done it before. And it was stressful to me because my goal is to make sure that to the crowd, it seems effortless. Right. Not that it was hard for me. It was hard for me, but they don't need to know that. Um, so I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Going off on that tangent, I lost my train of thought. Um, you do need to be flexible. You need to be able to do whatever is asked of you. Um, and you're, it's exactly what you said. There are lots of people who are great instructors, and then when they choreograph... Okay, I'm going to give you an example from outside the dance world. I make jewelry, mm -hmm. right? There, And I buy my components. I love lampwork glass. I love enameled things. Um, so I buy those from the artists who excel at that. I don't know how to make those things, so I buy them from artists who are very good at it. Some of those bead makers then try to use their components to make jewelry as well. And some of them shouldn't. <laughs> and I'm not being rude, but they're much better at making the components than they are at putting them right. together. So I feel the same thing is true in the dance community. You have people who are great instructors, but when they try to choreograph a dance, it just doesn't come together very well. And that's no, that's not bad for them. It just means their, their specialty lies in a different area. Right. You have people who choreograph really cool stuff, but can't teach it for shit. And I've learned from people where I was like in pain trying to learn from them because they they don't, and I'm gonna go off on another tangent. You really should take my class <laughs> about how to teach, how to be a better instructor. I did a whole course on the John Robinson Show on my Patreon page where I talked about all the different aspects of being a great teacher. And I've started to do some of these classes at some of the big events where I, I do a presentation on how to be a better teacher. And I present, there's so much information, you can't get it all done in an hour, but I try to give little bits of hints here and there. There's so much to know about how to be a great instructor. 
and one of those things, one of those aspects that's going to jump out of my mouth right now is pay attention to your room. Pay attention to your students. Yes. Same thing like a DJ has to do, right? Pay attention to your crowd. You, you can, but you shouldn't. You, I would say you cannot do this, but of course people do it all the time. But you really shouldn't. Teach something, 8 counts, 16 counts, whatever, and then go, all right, everybody got that? And then just move on without actually acknowledging whether people do have it or not. I see that happen a lot. People are like, oh, that looks great. Let's move on. But you haven't really taken the time to watch the students and see if they do they really have it. Do you need to go over that again? Or is there a little piece that's a sticking point that they're, everybody's struggling right there? Everybody's not turning to that new wall. Why? Why is that happening? Figure that out. So that's something that we have to be aware of, too. As, as somebody being invited to be part of an event staff, there's so much more than just being a teacher or a choreographer. And backing up a little bit, because I like how you touched on not knowing every dance at night. I don't know every dance either. It's impossible. It is just impossible for me to know every new dance that comes out and that's going to be played at night in any of the ballrooms. I can't do it. I, there's no way. My head would explode. There's right. just too many. Yeah. But my point is there. Be flexible and open to trying things, like running out and joining in. Go in the beginner ballroom. So I've been in events where people are there and never leave the main ballroom. They never come out of the main. I'm talking that, to staff. Oh, so I'm, yeah, that's right. that's very common. Yeah. Go to the other ballrooms. Go in the beginner. They want to see you there, too. In fact, the beginners are thrilled when I go in there because I make it fun. And Kelly might say, oh, do you want to walk through Love Repeats? Because Love Repeats is, a, I say every beginner dancer should know it. And he'll hand me the mic, and I'll just yeah. walk through Love Repeats just really quick. Not to teach, just here's how the dance goes. Follow my voice. You can do it to the music. Mm -hmm. So the dancers appreciate that because they know you've taken time you're the star, yeah. but you've come into the beginner ballroom and danced with them. Of course they're going to love you and appreciate you for that. Go in the other ballrooms. Go in the all-request ballroom. Go across, like, Windy City. They're not necessarily close to one another. That beginner ballroom is way, way down the hallway down the hall. across the other side yeah. of the hotel. Make a point to go over there, though. I think event directors should be more conscious of this when they hire people. Do your staff actually, you know, work to entertain everybody or do they just stick in their little niche yeah and, and unfortunately don't always listen to the dj in the room For event and i'm talking about event directors because the dj in the room is going to course want every instructor mm. in their room well when you have multiple rooms at night that's not always possible um i'll use the marathon as a perfect example you have the main ballroom you have an all request room you have a beginner room you have three rooms and they're all decent size all decent sized rooms they have two of them have a 2400 square foot dance floor in each if i remember correctly off the top of my head because um i don't remember the exact dimensions and the other the one room has probably four to five thousand square feet in it well if if someone's dances are getting requested and they want the instructor in there and they come get them they can't necessarily be in the ballroom and no i, I i've heard this from many people that says oh, well the instructor should tell the dj when they leave no they should not <laughs> no they should not that they're not there to report to you they're there to report to the event director i've i i've gotten i've i've seen this happen more times than not where that's what they're told no they're not there to work for you yes you're the dj i get that you're there to run a room at night you should run a room without every instructor in there starting the dance I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just saying and I always did this as when I DJed for Jen and Jason I would tell them they'd ask me what instructors came in the beginning the all request room and I would tell them plain and simple this 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 person this 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 person straight up um on another thing on something John taught up taught up just touched on about going out learning learning beginner dances and you going out there and trying new stuff as an instructor also, an instructor, don't try to teach above your level. Mm. Don't try to do more than you are actually capable of. Um, I've seen this many times. One of my biggest pet peeves, and I know John will agree with me, is teaching with a step sheet in your hand. <laughs> don't get uh, me started. <laughs> uh, this just shouldn't be done. I've, I've seen it way too many. I've been at a decent-sized convention. First class on a Friday morning, this instructor had – was teaching one of the brand new popular dances that had just hit the scene. She chose to teach it. And um, she had the biggest class, main ballroom, and she's on stage teaching with a step sheet in her hand. And I'm like, 
this person gets invited back and gets invited to places. I'm like, what is that saying? Mm-hmm. What is what example is that showing? That's, I'm sorry to me. If you aren't prepared, and I get that everybody wants to teach the newest and most pop, the, the freshest, the 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 brand new hot thing, but if you haven't prepared it right. and you haven't walked through it and learned it, don't do it. Don't present it. Don't Unless just, that dance came out that morning, right before your workshop, you should have prepared to teach it. And you shouldn't be dancing it in your workshop if it just came out that right. morning. <laughs> you sh- I don't care how who choreographed the dance. I don't care anything. If you wake up and you're doing a workshop, and this it's easier when you're doing a workshop because the dances usually aren't announced. If you're at an event, if you're at a four-day convention, and this is another pet peeve of mine I, I don't like anymore, the fact that the schedule's released two weeks beforehand and everybody shows up to the convention pretty much already knowing it. Right. Um, what's the point of having the workshops then? No offense. Um, but – you already have it prepared. There's a list of everything that's being taught. Granted, we do go to conventions nowadays where 16 different instructors will show up and want to teach, want to change four dances before demos, and the schedule gets swapped around. Blah blah blah. It does happen, but if you're at a one-day workshop like the Barnanza, there is no excuse, and John will agree with me that him or Rob should have woke up that morning, saw the dance hit Copper Knob in Facebook, and decided, <laughs> oh, I'm going to teach this today. No, sir. That yeah. shouldn't get done. <laughs> right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here a little bit because at the Barnanza, mm-hmm. I taught the new dance from Rob, Britt, and Jason called Wreck This Town. Yep. And I didn't know it. What? You're saying how could you teach something you don't know? I didn't know it until the night before. So I actually learned the dance the night before, and I can do this because I'm a professional and I do it all the time. Rob was amazed because I told him, I said, I don't know your dance. He's like, what? I said, I'll be teaching it tomorrow. I don't know it yet, but I will. And as soon as I woke up, I woke up, I looked at Rob and I said, stomp, stomp, knee bend, heel together, heel split, rocking chair, jazz quarter, turn, then scuff hook, kick step, rock recover, turn, clap, vine to the right and vine quarter, turn, quarter turn, cross point, cross point, back point, back, 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 unwind. He went, how do you do that? (laughs) But I learned it. I learned it and I was ready to teach it. And I actually taught it as the very last class of the entire day. Mm -hmm. And it's a high energy dance. There's some phrasing involved. And, you know, I'm not bragging about myself, but even Rob was impressed. He's like, oh my God, you taught that so well. I said, because I'm a professional. So if you're going to be invited to these events, and event directors, I think, should keep this in mind as well, really, you're not going to be invited back unless you show that you're a professional. If you are asked to do a demo, be ready to demo. If you're asked to teach something, let's say last minute, be ready to do it. Um, whatever is presented to you, you need to you need to be capable of doing. So I also want to get a little bit to why events are having certain people come um, for free or not being paid well or that kind of topic. I think we should address that, Kelly. Agreed. Um, there are, I'm going to give you a specific example. I mean, this is controversial conversations and I'm just going to name people. So Trevor Thornton, when he came on the scene, was invited to teach at the marathon. And he asked me what I thought he should be getting for compensation. Here's what I told Trevor and here's what I tell every up and coming person. When you're new, of course you're not going to be compensated as much as the A-listers, and you shouldn't expect that. You should not ask for something outrageous because you're just not going to get it. You're not going to get it unless that event director has no concept of what the pay scale is, right? But you're not going to get what an A-lister is asking for. However, here's what I said to Trevor. At home, you would be teaching at the barn, correct? Yes. You have a day job as well, yes. Yes. I said, what would you be making at home for the days that you would be working that event then ask for that because that's what you're giving up to go work there well you know it would be good to have the exposure blah blah blah. and i said that's a load of crap like kelly said earlier we you get plenty of exposure online you can post your stuff on facebook instagram TikTok. and now. obviously if the event director is calling you you've already been exposed enough because they obviously have noticed something and they want you at the event right plain and simple Right. So know your worth and know your value, but keep it sensible, right? 
don't ask for something above and beyond because if you're you it's it's a um, it's like any other industry you have to work your way up you have to become that valuable commodity that everybody wants to have my question then is for event directors why are you bringing in people and not compensating them accordingly and this is not just newcomers but established individuals so i'm going to get on this for a little bit i know somebody um again i'm going to say right out willie brown from scotland came over to work an event we'll leave the event nameless for now you can message me later and find out which one it was he came over to work an event and i found out later now i brought willie over to work a couple events with me we had him to our vegas event chris and i had him at our big dances life in vegas i said what is your fee how much is your airfare and that's what I paid him. His fee and his airfare, exactly how he quoted it to me. I didn't try to argue with him to say, oh, we can't afford that. I wanted him at my event and I compensated him accordingly. What he asked for, he got. He came over to this event, this other event, just recent, not too long ago, a couple of years ago, and come to find out as we were talking, they did not reimburse him for his travel from Scotland. He had to pay his own way to come work an event in the United States. Now, granted, he was also coming over for a little bit of vacation time. I think his wife also came. Um, and they were coming over to do a little bit of vacation. So I see that, you know, if you're coming for vacation. But the travel part for the event, attending the event itself, should have been compensated somehow. Correct. And Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, Willie Brown, why in the hell would you do that? Why would you allow that to happen? Well, you know, we made a vacation around it. So, and I said, that's no excuse. They need, if they're hiring you to work the event, they need to compensate your travel. That is a given, okay? I'm sorry, event directors, if you're listening. You and I both know it's not free to travel to events. My, I, tr I drive, so I have fuel costs. And I'm very nice because I only charge my event directors the cost of my fuel. What I should be charging them is mileage. Mm -hmm. And if I were to charge mileage, kids, it would be way more than what they're paying me for my fuel. In fact, I had this discussion with the event director because they balked at my fuel compensation, which was like, I don't know, 200 bucks that year. And I said, oh, all right. Well, by law, I should be charging you mileage. So here's what the mileage would be. It was like $1,400 for the amount of miles I drove there. Uh -huh. Oh no, we don't want to do that. We'll just pay you the fuel then. So event directors keep that in mind as well. That's part of why you hire people. This cracks me up too, Kelly. I'm sorry. Things no, just, go ahead. Go things ahead. are You're burning good. through my brain now that I've got on a roll here. This cracks me up. When you at an event hires you uh -huh. and they say, and I say, what are you going to offer for compensation? Well, we'll give you a free pass. And okay. I'm like, well, I would hope you'd give me a pass. How else would I get into your event to teach? You're hiring me to teach and you're not gonna give, of course you're gonna give me a pass. That's just part of the package. That's yeah. not compensation. That's yeah. just part of your package of hiring me. Um, there's been many events where I res distinctly remember one event, I won't say which one, but they didn't have my room. I'm like, you want to hire me to work for you, but you're not providing me a place to stay. Explain yeah. this logic to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've said this on my show before, I, and I say that I've said this before. I use I use the sports analogy. You have to still pay the backup. You have to train the backup. If you go and get start a job tomorrow, if you went to Walmart, Target, any office thing, you're going to get paid to do the training. Your first week or two or three or whatever the company thing, you're going to be trained. They're going to pay you to train. Guess what? No difference, guys. The only difference, in my opinion, is if you're already hiring someone to come in and do the job, you have a rough idea that they at least know what the hell they're doing. Mm. Straight up. They've, they've taught, obviously, uh, for the most part, I, I, I and I'll, I'll say this straight up in, in the, from dancing the USLDCC, you can't tell me that a single person that's competed in the USLDCC has never taught before. It hasn't happened. You might find one or two, but if you look at everybody who's placed first or second or one or danced in the finals, every one of them has taught it at a workshop, at a class, a local class, bar, whatever you want to call it, had their own class, have been invited to workshops, even though if they supposedly taught voluntarily, every one of them have taught. I believe the first year of, of, of competition when Trevor won, there was nine finalists between all the entries. 
eight of the nine finalists had their own weekly class. So you can't tell me that you don't think they already know what they're doing. It, it happens. You, you, you're, they're going to have somewhat of an experience. And obviously, if you're contacting them to be at your event, they're bringing something to the table that you want. Some event directors, and, and I, I'm, this is back when you said the local local stuff earlier. How many event directors actually want the local instructor, or do they want the local instructor's people? People, right. That's what I think is is the difference. Yeah, okay. And And related to that, if you bring local instructors, so yes, you're right. They're bringing money, right? That, I mean, that's the goal of the event. You want to at least break even and hopefully make a little bit. Now, I hope you guys all realize nobody's getting rich hosting dance events, right? There's so much expense involved. It's crazy how much money they cost. Mm -hmm. So nobody's doing this to make a fortune. It's just not happening. But you'd at least like to break even and hopefully walk away with a little bit of cash for all your effort, right? Yep. So um, when we're bringing in these people, the local instructors, are they qu here's the thing, though. Are they quality instructors? Like, for example, I think at Dancing of the Storm, we have some great local instructors. Gwen Walker, she's not what you would call an A-lister on the dance circuit. Like, most people would know, like, who's, who's Gwen Walker? Gwen had more people in her lesson than I did. Not this year, I beat her this year. But two years ago when we did Dancing of the Storm, she had two more people in her class than I did. I was annoyed. <laughs> but this speaks to her ability as an instructor people like her she resonates with her students so of course her class was well attended of all levels beginner and intermediate she had great attendance so when you're bringing in locals are they quality are they actually adding to your event not just right. are they bringing bodies but do they do and and, and don't put the local instructor up against mm. the top tier because no offense why is a local instructor's dancer going to spend hundred and sixty dollars on a weekend pass to come take from their instructor they're not they're not when they can go and spend eight five eight ten dollars whatever it is down the road and be at their class you want those people to come take from everybody else now you and i both know they're not going to do that they're going to go and support their local instructor that they teach from during their class is it fair to put them up against a fred whitehouse or rachel McEnany or dan Bailey just because you need to... don't hire someone just to fill a spot mm. don't do that that's just that's right if that's the case, do your scheduling a little bit better. Spread it out. Have less ballrooms. Do a lunch break. Don't hold classes during the competition. I think that's the biggest one that that, that drives me nuts. You, you, you have you have the competition, and I'll use this as an example, the USLDCC. All your A-listers are pretty much judging. Your other one is MCing, and you have all these up-and-comers. Who's going to attend the classes? Who's going to go and attend the classes in the side rooms? No one. Very little. Cancel classes for the two hours. Let those instructors come in and enjoy the competition. Enjoy a break. Enjoy lunch. You know, spread it out a little bit. You know, we're back to, and it was great to see it fits this year, 40-something entries. It, we didn't get done in 47. two hours. We didn't get done in the two hours. For the first time since year one, we didn't get done in the two hours. That felt great. But... Again, full ballroom, why are we going to have the other classes, especially if they're only going to be fillers? You know, sometimes quality is better than quantity. And, and right. this goes back to the whole releasing the schedule two weeks before and 89 dances are on the, on the docket to get taught and someone releases videos and 79 of them in the newsletter and by the time you get there, nobody wants to buy, nobody wants to take a class. Nobody wants to watch a demo. Nobody wants to buy a video. <laughs> Why are they there? Oh, they finally show up at 8 o'clock at night to do open dancing, and then they complain that they don't get their dances because you're playing the dances that were taught that day. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> That's something to keep in mind for the event directors. We're, we're talking about the unknowns or the up-and-comers or, you know, whatever you want to call them, the ones we're hopefully grooming to become the next wave of, you know, the instructors at these big conventions that people actually want to go see. Because there are people who are very excited to see Joe and Rachel and um, Fred or Shane or Gary or Maggie or me or whoever. They're like, that's why they go there. They're like, oh, I'm so excited to come see you and, and take your class in person, right? 
So we need that to happen with the, with the up and coming crowd as well. And I have heard great feedback from let's say, oh, let's use the marathon for example. Some of the new instructors that were there, and I don't mean new because they've been on the scene for a while, but right. in their own local areas, but they've not right. been on the traveling circuit. Correct. So they're newer to that. And like, so-and-so is such a great teacher and they were funny and I, it was so easy to learn from them. That's not gonna happen unless you give them the opportunity and make it worth their while. Yes. So don't just say, oh, well, you can come to the, this event for the exposure, or you you know, you can come, but we can't afford to pay you anything. You, you'll have to do you know, this much stuff or, or whatever to, to earn your way. I understand, with, back to the top when I said, you've got to work your way up. Don't expect a list pay at the beginning. But event directors, at least compensate those, make them feel like their contribution to your event is valued. Mm-hmm. Not like we're going to just, you know, oh, because you're nobody and you want to be somebody, we're going to exploit you. Because that's what it feels like. That's what it looks like. It may not feel like it because the person might be excited to be there. Like, oh my gosh, I'm at a big convention. There's 300 people here. This is so cool. I get that. I came from that. You know, back in the day, it was like, oh my gosh, I got invited to teach at this event. And there's, you know, 300 people there. This is so great. But I'm only being paid $50 to teach three lessons, right? So, but you learn your value. And I would hope the event directors would understand that as well. Making those people feel valued will make them want to contribute more to the event. It'll motivate them, I would think, to want to give you more of what you're expecting from them. Don't you think that would be the case? Agreed. Like, let's, uh, I'll, I use this example all the time. Fred Whitehouse. You know, um, for those who don't know how Fred ended up at his first U.S. event, there was unfortunate circumstance with Darren who uh, got in trouble and wasn't allowed in the U.S. He was supposed to be at Tampa Bay Line Dance Classic held by J.C. Dance Productions. And earlier that year, he got um, he got reported, got stuck overseas, couldn't travel to the U.S. Jen asked, who would you recommend? Well, for those who don't remember... That was the year Trespassing came out, which Darren wrote with Fred Whitehouse. Fred, brilliant competitor at the time, was just breaking into the social scene, and he recommended. Now, would we have ever seen Fred Whitehouse? Sure. Eventually, would we have had the Fred Whitehouse if Jen didn't take that chance of hiring a co-choreographer that happened to write with this star of everyone knew in Darren Bailey that was relatively unknown to the social scene at the time? No, we wouldn't have. We'd had to wait and wait and wait. But we didn't have to wait because Jen took the chance, paid Fred to come over. The rest was history. He released Off the Chain that year. He released all these dances. Boom. A star was born. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's it's stuff like that. You took the chance. And I, I feel like, and I might be out of line on this one, but hey. We are calling this controversial conversations <laughs> and it's been great with this pandemic and don't get me wrong. I miss all my international, my international instructors that are some of my best friends, but I feel like people take more of a chance on international instructors than they do us instructors. Mm, good point. Um, something I've touched base before if it's like they, they're more willing to, to give opportunity to the people overseas than they are here in the states and is it done purposely i don't know i don't know everyone has their own feelings on this um but it has been nice and not in the bad way but people have gotten the opportunity to show themselves mm-hmm. during this like we haven't had a single international instructor at an event this year ever since december of last year when florida line dance classic every event that's been held has been all u.s based instructors guess what they're still being attended. And Some of them have better attendance than they did before. Exactly. It like so, and I that this I'm very passionate about that, Kelly, because and we were talking about this before we recorded this episode. I feel the same way. I feel, of course, the the people there's people all over the world that are talented. We're not saying they're not and that they don't deserve to be brought over and provide the the wonderful right exactly you know, entertainment they provide for our, our community. But we also have people in this country, in the United States, that are very, very talented, excellent instructors. They're funny, they're witty, they mingle well with the crowd, they're entertaining, they dance all night long, and I feel like they're just being discounted or or even exploited sometimes. 
um, instead of being recognized for what they are contributing and can contribute in the future. It's kind of like what you said about Fred. Somebody had to give him that opportunity. Well, someone needs to give these these up-and-comers in the States an opportunity as well. Have them come teach a class, but also, like I said, make it worth their while. Right. Make it, and or give them more than one class. Instead of just, oh, we'll give you one class, and, you know, you'll have to pay for half your room. And The other part that baffles me, and this one probably bugs me more than baffles me, is the people who are already at the event that offer to do it for free, mm. and they still get turned down because, quote-unquote, Oh, you haven't earned it. You you aren't deserving to teach here, is what's been said. That what baffles me even more. As an event director, no offense, what are you losing? What are you giving up by giving someone a shot, a, an opportunity to teach one class? What does it hurt? What what does it hurt? Um. Uh, that that's what baffles me even more that that's happened and i it's happened to people who, who have won the world dance masters competition they were told they weren't deserving of, of a free teaching spot hmm. um at an event it's happened to many other people where they're already there they've offered to step in they've offered to teach and they they've been turned down that's what baffles me even more that You'll call up someone and try to get them to come to your event. Why? Because they're going to pay and you're going to get another room night and stuff like that. But you won't give the opportunity to the people who are already there to teach, to give them that, to give them that shot, to give them that next step. Are you, are you afraid that they might get popular and someone else might <laughs> swallow them up before you can book them? Right. That, so, that's so, what bugs me. Yeah, and really quick, sometimes those – unknown or local instructors as we sometimes call them are just as capable and just as talented as your big names but no one's ever going to know it if you don't just let them run with it and give them that chance there i travel a lot so i see a lot of people and you would be honestly kelly you'd be amazed and impressed by some of these local teachers i go to their class i'm like oh my gosh she's a great teacher or he's really good at keeping the crowd engaged and the crowd is just like on fire and they're loving it but you don't get to see that at a big convention and it has to start somewhere somebody has to take a chance you're right but also like i said earlier make it worth their while exactly you know so yeah it's great if they want to offer you it free but then go hey you know for doing this we'll give you you know right. give them something right I'm going to end this episode on my little football analogy, guys, on this one. For those who don't know it, look it up. Would Tom Brady have seven Super Bowl rings if Drew Bledsoe ever get hurt? Someone had to take a chance on letting the backup play. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Again, give us the feedback. Give us the comments. Let us know what you want to talk about. Let us know what you thought about this episode contact either one of us we will gladly do follow-up episodes of me too but like i said before i'm kelly cavallero john robinson also known as mr showcase and until next time see ya